Hello, and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast. I'm Bree James, and on today's episode, we chat to pediatrician, health services researcher, and co founder of Can Child, Dr. Peter Rosenbaum about why we and our children should learn F-words. And no, don't choke on your coffee. It's not that F-word. As we work towards a more inclusive society, we wanted to shine a light on a great organisation called CanChild, whose overarching goal is to maximise the quality of life and participation of children and youth with a variety of developmental conditions, along with their families. So their research led to the F-words, But they're not all like the words you're probably thinking, although I'm quite sure I've got your attention. So let's get Dr. Peter Rosenbaum on Zoom to share his amazing uh, model helping people live their best lives. It's time to get to class. So tell me, Peter, firstly, can you explain a little about the Can Child and why you started the organisation and what does the Can Child do? Well, CanChild um, is, first of all, is a name um, coined by a parent, and we're very pleased with that. We've been working with parents since, since we started in 1989, and CanChild was an opportunity that arose when the government of our province of 14 million people uh, listened to the advice of some clever uh, scientists who said that they needed to fund research groups to work in partnership with relevant community organizations to address health services issues. So uh, we were one of the original of these um, so-called health system-linked research units. And we being Mary, Dr. Mary Law, an eminent occupational therapist and myself, we had been doing pieces of research through the 80s research in childhood disability. And each study um, was funded and allowed us to do to answer a particular question. And then we'd look around for what else we could do. We weren't thinking programmatically. And we were simply trying to keep our heads above water, particularly to be able to keep some very good staff that we had. uh, And we needed research grants to do that. So we began to realize that the tail was wagging the dog. We were trying to get money wherever money was available and do the studies that the money would pay for rather than being strategic. And this opportunity provided the chance to develop a five-year research program with proximate goals and then some further directions that we would pursue. Um, And we got funding for what I call free money which essentially gave us the infrastructure to employ some very good people and to build research programs. The partnership was with the Children's Treatment Centers of Ontario. There are 20 regional children's centers, all publicly funded, and they are loose, they're independent, but loosely federated. And we had been doing some work with them and asked them if they would be our partner and what was in it for us was to have a laboratory 
in quotes, uh, with 20 centers and hundreds of service providers and thousands of kids and, fam kids and families to whom we might have access for research. And what was in it for them was to have an academic uh, uh, organization that could work with them and provide them with information and ideas. And it was a, a marriage made in heaven. And here we are, that was 1989. And here we are 30, in our 32nd year or so. Wow, that's amazing. Not so, anticipated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like all good things, right? Um, so what is a can child? Well, it, it isn't a can child. Can child is, is can child center for childhood disability research. And can obviously refers both to Canada and to ability as opposed to disability. Uh, we are at McMaster University, which is a, a research intensive university with a very good medical school, nursing school, physio, OT and speech therapy program, among many other faculties. And we have always been a multidisciplinary group addressing issues of relevance to children and families and service providers. Our interests are in health services uh, and uh, developmental issues as opposed to, not because we don't think it's important, but as opposed to the biological underpinnings of impairment. Uh, we're not, we're not bi biomedical scientists, we're health services scientists, if you like. So we're talking about why we and our children should learn F words today. Um, now you first introduced F words in 2011, 2011 with a paper you released alongside Dr. Gorta. Um, can you explain what the F words are and how you came up with them? Because I'm assuming they're not the ones that we accidentally say in front of our children. They're, they're, they're way better than those ones. Well, um, we deliberately use the title, uh, the F words in childhood disability. I swear this is how we should think um, to get people's attention. And we seem to have managed to do that. What's important as background very briefly is that the World Health Organization in 2001 produced a, an upgraded, updated framework for health based on something they had done in 1980 that never went very far. The 2001 variation of this is called the International Classification of Functioning Disability, uh, of impairment, International Classification of Functioning Health sorry, disability and health, functioning disability and health. And the, what's important is not the classification, which is dense and requires enormous amounts of time and energy to figure out how to categorize things in three or four alphanumeric uh, categories. But the framework for health was what really captured our attention. And essentially, what you have is at the top, you have health condition. So our, our health conditions are conditions like cerebral palsy or autism or spina bifida. But if we were working in geriatrics, we could have dementia or macular degeneration or osteoporosis. The point is that any health condition is recognized to have manifestations in body structure and function. And that's traditionally where we have focused in health. What's your problem? What's the diagnosis? What's the treatment? 
And what the World Health Organization reminds people of is that in, a, that in addition to the health condition and the problems in body structure and function, there is a possibility, in fact, a more or less uh, light, likelihood that you will have problems in functioning, which they call activity. And you and I have both done a whole lot of activities together, to, not together, but today. Um, we both got up and got dressed and maybe had a shower first, maybe brushed our teeth. You, in your case, ate breakfast. I just ate dinner uh, and on and on and on. Those are activities. And to the extent that a health condition might interfere with doing activities, the World Health Organization wanted to remind people about that. They also talk about participation. Now, participation is something you and I are both doing by having a conversation right now. You're doing your work, I'm doing my work, and we are both able to do this. The fact that I am blind or in a wheelchair is irrelevant if I can do those things I need to do because I can participate in life in ways that are meaningful for me. So even if I were blind, even if I were a wheelchair user, for the purposes of my life fulfillment, I can do a lot of things despite an impairment. The last thing that they did was formally remind us that we have to pay attention to personal factors, what floats your boat. You and I both have the same condition, but we're different people. What's important to you? What's important to me? What, is, what makes my version of the condition unique to me and your version of the same condition unique to you? Oh, and by the way, we need to pay attention to environmental factors. And, you know, a lot of people roll their eyes and say, yeah, we know that. Yeah. And the answer back from me, uh, tongue in cheek, is you may know it, but you're not paying attention to it. So we're ready to discharge no. you from hospital, Mrs. Smith, after your operation, um, and you're fine to go. But we don't find out whether Mrs. Smith lives alone on the second floor and has to get up the stairs and can't do that because our operation has left her weak. We don't find out whether she has somebody to come in and look after her. We don't find out whether she is independent and so on and so on and so on. So this set of ideas is interconnected. There's no hierarchy. But what this reminds us about is that there is more to health issues than the body structure and function impairments. And what we did was try to bring this set of ideas to life in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way by talking about fitness to talk about body structure and function physical fitness mental fitness when we come when it comes to activity we wanted to talk about functioning now are you using your left hand right now now you see there's the problem isn't it you're left-handed is that a problem for you absolutely not but it was for your mother and it certainly was for your grandmother who were forced to change. And we're saying that functioning, if you can do it, however you do it, even with your left hand, which is one of the uh, metaphors I use about difference as opposed to disability, um, it doesn't matter that you use your left hand. It doesn't matter that I wear glasses. If I can function with my glasses, that's fine, I'm functioning. And then we're interested in with respect to uh, participation, we talked about friends. 
Now, friends, especially for kids, friends are very important. Friends may be peers, they may be a pet, they may be a grandparent, they may be your teacher's aide at school, but people who are important to your life with whom you interact are examples, not the only things that are important, but examples of participation. We tried to bring to life the idea of personal factors with the word fun. And this becomes particularly important when we're working with children for whom therapies are needed. And if we can find out what's fun for them, we can build our, our therapies around what's fun for them rather than imposing therapy on them. Now, I'm not talking about taking pills, which you know you occasionally have to do, but in our field, most of what we're talking about is physical activities and interventions of one sort or another. And if we can find ways to make those fun for kids, they'll want to do them. And with respect to environment, the absolutely essential central nuclear environment for children is family. So if we talk about fitness, function, fitness, functioning, friends, fun, and family, we are bringing those ideas to life. They're not the only F words that could be used, but they're meant to catch people's attention. Now, what we added at the bottom of this framework is the word future. Future does not come into the World Health Organization's framework because the framework is essentially a slice in time picture of your situation today with your health condition and the ways in which body structure and function activity and participation may be affected. We brought uh, future in because we work with children and youth and they are a work in progress. I mean, you and I probably are changing a little bit and learning a few things from time to time, but we're pretty much, you know, cooked. Um, and I don't mean in a, in, a, in a negative sense, but we're not changing and developing the way children are. Yeah. Absolutely. But should we? <laughs> well, if we're lucky, we do. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so how can using the F words help everyone then? Because obviously, you know, those uh, six F words are fantastic. So we've got the function, the family, the fitness, the fun, the friends and the future. Um, how can using these F words help everybody? Well, we started off, um, as I said at the, at the top, uh, writing the paper called The F-Words in Childhood Disability. And we did that because we work in the field of childhood disability as, as uh, people with an interest in the impact of developmental impairments on children. But a number of people have said, and we've now changed the term to the F-Words for Child Development, because these are not exclusive to childhood disability. The reason that we think they're particularly important in our field is because of two things, one of which I alluded to at the beginning and the other which I'll say now. The first I alluded to is that our traditional view is we've got to find out what's wrong with you. So we need lots of tests to diagnose your condition. And then we need to find the right ways of fixing it of treating it with the, with the goal of fixing. And as we like to say, that's the original F word. Um, the problem is that unlike the abdominal pain, which I've had for the last six hours, which is now being diagnosed in the emergency, in the casualty room, in the emergency room as appendicitis or as an ulcer or as this or as that, there are only a few things that are gonna cause my abdominal pain 
that suddenly arose six hours ago and from which I cannot get any relief. And it's gonna be really important to figure out what it is because the right treatment can literally cure it like removing my appendix or putting me on the appropriate antibiotic for my ulcer. But in virtually all developmental conditions like Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and autism and intellectual disability and so on, there are no cures. And to the extent that we simply uncork more and more vigorous therapies with the goal of fixing it, we're going to be disappointed. And at the end of the day, after a thousand years of uh, the current therapies as we know them, the child with cerebral palsy will still have cerebral palsy. And so we have to move beyond that thinking and we have to say, how can we promote development? How can we focus on functioning, even if children do things differently? Because the negative implications of our traditional approaches have been that we're always behind the eight ball. Whereas if we're prepared to, and I say in quotations, tolerate differences in function, just as we are tolerating you being left-handed and my wife, by the way, um, then you know it's, it's no big deal. It's a different way of doing things. And to the extent that being left-handed allows you to do what you need to do and want to do, um, that's fine. If you were forced to change and you wanted to be a surgeon and you're, left, you're naturally left-handed and now you've got to try to learn to do surgery with your right hand, that's going to be a tremendous challenge for you. And so we're trying to get people to think differently, to accept difference and variation, to get away from the idea of normal, because as you probably know, only about 15% of people are left-handed. So you're clearly in the minority, but you're not abnormal. And to the extent that we talk about normal and abnormal, we are constraining ourselves and we are, we are doing a serious disservice to children and people with developmental differences and to their families. And so we're trying to change the discourse. We're trying to say there is more here than therapy. Should we do therapy? Absolutely. But the therapy should be evidence-based and it should be addressing specific particular questions and goals that the family has, that the child has, and not simply the goals that we think are important. And the defense of that nasty statement is that there's pretty good evidence that we can change body structure and function, but we don't necessarily, that does not automatically lead to changes in activity or participation. So you may be different after therapy, but are you better? And particularly, are you able to function better? And so that, that is, I, I, it's hard to say it more briefly, I, uh, because I think people need to understand the concepts behind this, the World Health Organization's framework for health, the philosophy that being able to function at your best, however you do it, is what the goal is. And then to bring that to life with F words that remind people that it's okay to uh, do things differently, that it's really important to pay attention to family 
um, because I'm an absolutely fabulous pediatrician who's going to see your child every six months for, for half an hour. Uh, you're an absolutely fabulous parent who's going to raise your child every minute of those six months and the next and the next and the next. And by the way, you know your child better than anybody else in the world. So I really need to ask you about your child. I need to listen to you. I need to have a sense of what your goals are as a family and try to bring the best of our advice into that uh, conversation so that you can figure out whether what we're talking about makes sense to you and, and depending on the age of your child, to your child. And that's very different from a top-down, me doctor, you parent, I tell you, you listen. I'm disappointed in you because you're not listening to me, uh, which is a very arrogant view that many of us have been brought up with. And it's changing a lot now, but there's still a long way to go. You've dedicated your life, um, you know, to improving the lives of others. How did you discover your life purpose and passion? Um, combination of the things I was interested in and the things I knew I didn't want to do. I knew I, in my training, I wasn't particularly interested in the biomedical underpinnings of what's going, what's wrong with the child at a biomedical level. I'm very pleased that there are lots of people who want to know that. That wasn't something I was particularly interested in. I was much more interested in children and families and community, and particularly in chronic conditions uh, where we could watch a child develop and watch a family develop over time. And with that combination of knowing what I what was on the do not do list and what was on the interesting list, I was fortunate enough to find, to land in a place in London uh, that uh, gave me the opportunity to learn these ideas. I went for a year, stayed for three, uh, and then came back to Canada. And I've been doing this ever since. Amazing. If you had one uh piece of uh, one message that you could share with our listeners today, uh, maybe it's a young person with a disability, uh, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them never to listen to the people who tell them what they can't do or won't be able to do. Um, that's the advice I give to parents. And I know that parents and grandparents want to know what's the outlook. And one of our traditions, again, is to paint a bleak picture, what I call the catalog of doom, so that you won't, Mrs. James, you won't get your hopes up too high. And what I say to Mrs. James and her husband and her and the in-laws and the outlaws is, we're not as good at predicting as we would like to be and as you would like us to be. And by the way, the children don't listen. And children who weren't supposed to walk and talk can walk and talk and learn and think. And I think we have traditionally underestimated the capabilities of people just because they're different. And that's a kind of prejudice. And you know, if we had a prejudice against green people and somebody green came into the office, we'd uncork all our biases about green people. Well, we have biases about people who have impairments. Uh, we see somebody with Down syndrome and we assume that they can't learn and they don't necessarily learn as easily as other people but they can learn they do learn and if we give them opportunities they'll learn even better same thing with their vision if we correct their vision they'll see better 
um, but we we tend to assume that whatever is going on is related to the in this example down syndrome um, and we don't bother to find out whether they can hear or see or whether their thyroid is working well so the we've got to be much more open to the possibility that people can do things even if they do them differently i love it uh, thank you so much peter for being on the show today and for all your thank insights you. um any parting words um if you're interested in how to use and apply the F words, go to www.canchild.ca slash F words, F hyphen words, and you'll find a huge array of tools and devices that have been created often by parents, often by colleagues, some by us, all shared for free downloadable, usable, and uh, we have testimonials uh, that go on and on and on about how useful these ideas are to people around the world in over 30 languages. Wow, that's incredible. So check it out. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes, so don't worry if you didn't get that URL, just say we'll put it in the show notes for, for you. Uh, all the way from Canada, thank you so much, Peter, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you kindly. If you're loving the PacMag Parenting Podcast, then you'll love our other channels. Follow PacMag on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. It's a wrap. What did we learn on today's show? The five F words were fitness, functioning, friends, family, and fun. Now, our traditional ideas about illness and disability led us to believe that the problem is in the person and the spotlight needs to be on trying to fix it. But today we are making the spotlight wider and seeing much more, which is the rest of the person and their environment. So there is more to health issues than the body structure and impairments. And thinking about normal prevents us from celebrating the vast diversity among us and the many ways people do things. So just look at how many people are left-handed or how different people hold a pencil uh, differently when they're writing. There's so many different ways to do things. These are not abnormal. So how can we promote development and focus on functioning even if the child does things differently? Well, we need to accept differences and get away from the idea of normal. Well, that's the end of the show. I hope you love this episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Remember, any important links can be found in the show notes, but a big thank you to everyone who has made the podcast possible and our special guest, Dr. Peter Rosenbaum, for being on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, happy parenting, and don't forget to tell everyone you heard it on PacMag. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at pacmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.